Well, that's enough with me and my apocalyptic prog rock sports show for tonight. But coming up next, we're turning over to Gray Matters, so stay tuned on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Different perspective on... uh... Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And, uh, boy, today's a piece of cake compared to yesterday with that wind chill. It was biting. Yeah. Bitingly cold out yesterday. And actually, I guess there's warm weather, like on the way. Warm and wet, rainy weather on the way. So I always hate it in the wintertime when people say, oh, well, so much for global warming. Well, winter's supposed to be cold, and uh, it's supposed to be fairly consistently cold, and really the phrase that should be used is climate shift, of course. Yeah, or global weirdness, and of course it's (laughs) important to realize that part of the, I don't know, yeah, we've had a couple of rough weeks here with snow and inconvenient ice on the roads and the sidewalks and whatnot, but, uh, you know, some of that is actually caused by the fact that the water uh, surrounding the state of Michigan and even the Pacific Ocean, where they're having a lot of troubles in the uh, west with uh, repeated snow, it's that warmer water that uh, actually causes these problems when there's the sudden shift in in the air mass. And incidentally, by the way, Moscow, I heard the other day, is so warm that uh, they may not be having a white Christmas for quite some time. So while there's been, you know, a bizarre snow event in Las Vegas, apparently the second time in the last hundred years, I heard about snow in New Orleans. Right. Apparently the sixth time uh, in the last 100 years. Well, um, other areas of the, glo- of the globe are, ac- are actually warmer this winter. Strange to think of a warm winter in Moscow. Napoleon must be spinning in his grave. Yep, invaded uh, in the wrong year. He didn't consult Nancy Reagan. <laughs> and incidentally, I mean, just to uh, emphasize that there actually is continuing melting going on, uh, the Associated Press reported on the 16th of uh, February of uh, December this month, actually, that more than 2 trillion tons of land ice in Greenland, Antarctica, and Alaska have melted since 2003, according to new NASA satellite data. Uh, We hear a lot of the debunkers of global warming or global uh, weirdness claiming that satellite data doesn't confirm what any human being on the planet can obviously observe. But uh, indeed, uh, uh, I know that in Greenland, uh, there's been significant ice melting that they've actually had to redo some maps um, they thought that they didn't know there was land there, um, and it's now being exposed. And needless to say, the glaciers <clears throat> pretty much all around the globe are uh, in retreat. In fact, there was actually a report this uh, past week about the Swiss glaciers. Mm-hmm. Maybe you heard that on the BBC. 
Well, a uh, film that came out earlier this year and here at the end of the year. Uh, next week, I'll probably talk a little bit about some of the uh, more significant uh, documentary films that came out this year. But Werner Herzog's Encounters at the End of the World, uh, which appeared briefly at the Michigan Theater, a uh, documentary about scientists uh, who live and work at uh, the South Pole and the nature of their projects there and the difficulties of that life. Um, one expert on glacial calving there, the big chunks that fall off and into the sea. Mm -hmm. There's this one large piece that uh, broke off some years ago, part of a shelf, and uh, they're tracking its movement and gradual disintegration. Their best estimate is that the water contained in this one solid mass, which is broken free due to climate shift, is enough water to run the Amazon River, oh, excuse me, the Nile River, for 75 years. Yeah, I think, as I recall, it was basically the size of Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the Antarctic has got some interesting weather uh, patterns going on. There's actually, while there's some land ice that's falling into the sea, there's actually been some increase in ice in some other spots down there. But... Um, these reports indicate, of course, that the uh, sea levels are continuing to rise. And, uh, you know, Obama's cabinet appointments uh, disappoint some in some areas. But I think that as we got into the more, shall we say, domestic-related uh, uh, cabinet departments, you could see a definite uh, switch from sort of slightly left of center to slightly left of left of center. And uh, it's encouraging, for instance, by the way, that a physicist is actually in charge of the energy department. As that was encouraging, to, yeah. As opposed to somebody that's connected to the industry, uh, the fossil fuel industry, or somebody that has expertise in clean coal <laughs> or clean nuclear. And, of course, uh, George Bush is part of his... Uh, Legacy tour. I don't know if he's touring with anthrax, but uh, <laughs> just a little sprinkling in his pocket might be a, might be a good choice. Uh, I can introduce them. I can see him selling T-shirts in the parking lot now. Yes, but um, yeah, he was in in front of the AIE last week, and this is part of the you know his surprise visit to Iraq uh, involving the shoe incident, and uh, you know, oddly enough. That shoe incident may be uh, what Bush goes down in history for uh, being remembered most for um, that and mission accomplished. I think we're something like 2,000. Uh, Keith Oberman keeps track of it on a, on a nightly basis. It's always uh, wonderful to see his uh, mission accomplished plus X number. Yeah, it's like 2,050 days since mission accomplished. <laughs> When he does the Letterman thing. But, uh, yeah, in, in Bush's appearance before the uh, AIE, he uh, actually said, he said, the president, and I'm quoting from David Stout's uh, article from uh, this past Friday in the New York Times, he said, the, the president said that the country, quote, needs to overcome its fear about nuclear power. In terms of safety, the engineering has changed dramatically from the past, he said, coincidentally, uh, Mr. Bush spoke 51 years to the day after the shipping port atomic power station near Pittsburgh became the first civilian nuclear plant to generate electricity in the United States. Well, you know, there are some, shall we say, attractive things about nuclear power regarding the fact that it doesn't 
contribute to global warming, but those are all relative in regard with regard to the context. Yeah, of course. the attractiveness, but of course the you know the f- <clears throat> the fuel problem, the uh, disposal problem has not been solved, and uh, fear is uh, something well, that Mr. Bush specializes in. Well, his lack of comprehension of of reasonable fare. Um, I mean, any construction project is, of course, as we all know, uh, farmed out to the lowest bidder. Yeah. And there's always going to be human error. And when you're dealing with this sort of industry that the nuclear power industry is, where mistakes, you know, can be catastrophic. You know, if you make a mistake shelving groceries in the grocery store, no big deal. You're just off by an aisle or two. You make mistakes in the construction of a nuclear power plant, and you've got serious problems that could have devastating consequences. Um, I'm not sure how long it is since the anniversary of Chernobyl, but uh, this is just one example. And, of course, our own Three Mile Island. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there are uh, big questions and concerns, particularly with the fuel disposal problem. But generally speaking, just the vulnerability of the entire enterprise. Uh, in the wake of 9-11, there was a lot of concern about what else is vulnerable in our society. And there was talk for a little while about, well, nuclear power plants, security needs to be tightened up there. And I suppose to some degree it was, but they're still basically sitting ducks. And of course, so that the, sort of terror attack. Yeah, and there have been alarming reports, by the way, globally about missing uh, nuclear uh, material that's uh, disappeared from various sites around the globe. And uh, one does wonder where some of it is. And by the way, the new Harper's uh, January uh, 2009 edition has a very interesting. Harper's Index, a three-page version. Whoa, I see it's uh, a special focus. Yeah, of the Bush era. And there are some fascinating uh, nuggets in this, but it, needless to say, uh, it closes out with uh, the rank of Bush among U.S. presidents with the highest disapproval rating, one. Uh, percentage of Americans who approved of the job Bush was doing during his second term. 37 percentage of Russians today who approve of the direction their country took under Stalin, 37. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, Joe Stalin, he's not. He's an amateur compared to Joe Stalin, but he is special. And uh, I'm one of the Americans that will not miss him in any area of his presidency. Well, you have to wonder, not very much, but I do wonder a little bit what his, uh, how he'll pass his days. I mean, Reagan went on a speaking tour, Bush's father did likewise, was involved in various industry think tanks. Ford Ford played a lot of golf, you know, he he just enjoyed himself. Right. And I suppose that uh, Bush will return to uh, picking up twigs and bramble out on the... uh, the prairie there in Texas, and uh, would that he had remained there for the last eight years. Yes, clearing that brush, and yeah, I remember his famous comment about switchgrass <laughs> solving our energy problems. Well, not quite, um, but uh, yeah, the uh, the cover story, by the way, is the is a report by Joseph Stiglitz, former. Um, Clinton economic advisor, who I believe won the, yeah, he he did win the Nobel Prize in economics in 2001. Uh, He's uh, best, well, he worked in the Clinton administration, 
um, as sort of an apparatchik for, for a period of time, but he co-authored a, a study with Linda Blimes, or, yeah, uh, from the Public Finance School of Harvard uh, several years ago that indicated that the Iraq War would uh, cost America $3 trillion when it's all said and done. And uh, they sort of re-emphasized this study. It's a very interesting, it's got some good graphics uh, about uh, how Bush has pretty much ruined the American economy in uh, eight many, eight years, and how he inherited a budget surplus of projected budget surplus uh, in terms of uh, uh, revenue of uh, when he took over of $128 billion with a, quote, bright fiscal future when George Bush took office. The CBO, the nonpartisan government agency uh, responsible for future expenditures and revenues, projected a cumulative budget surplus of at you know before Bush took office of five point six trillion dollars between two thousand and two and two thousand and eleven, so Bush has basically reversed this by fifteen trillion dollars, according to their experts. Uh, they of course note that the um, Iraq Afghanistan combined expenditures this year will cost two hundred and eight billion dollars. I haven't heard too much from Corker, Shelby, and McClellan. <laughs> McConnell um, about protecting the taxpayers' interests on that two hundred and eight billion dollars, and of course there are some fascinating charts and graphs showing uh, how uh, much uh, discretionary spending has increased under the uh, Bush uh, presidency. Um, eight hundred billion dollars in increased uh, expenditures for Medicare as part of the. Uh, um, Schedule D, um, and where the top money went. And what is fascinating is that the top 1% of Americans um, in 2006, and of course uh, more data has yet to be collected, um, but they get 22.1% of the national income. The bottom 50% get 12.5%. Just staggering, uh, you know, the inequality of income is uh, one of the cumulative legacies, I would argue, of the Bush-Reagan uh, cutting taxes concept of running the, the railroad. Um, staggering costs, of course, for veterans, entitlements, and benefits as a result of these wars. A $5 trillion increase in the national debt. Um, the TARP fiasco that seems to be continuing under Paulson, who, uh, I don't know, he looks like Daddy Warbucks a little bit after eating spirulina for <laughs> four years. Uh, it, it's, it's a very troubling legacy indeed. And uh, they open up their analysis of uh, Mr. Bush's presidency with this interesting uh, factoid, uh, as they note that both unemployment and inflation are way up, and household savings are down. They write, "quote Nearly four trillion or four million manufacturing jobs have disappeared, and not coincidentally, five million more Americans have no health insurance." And uh, in the Harper's Index, by the way, the out-of-pocket uh, expenditures for Americans regarding. Uh, uh, medical expenses 
since 2001, when Bush essentially took over, um, the average amount U.S. workers spend on out-of-pocket m- uh, medical expenses percentage change, 172%. So, I mean, you know, you got to check out this uh, Harper's uh, edition. I'm sure you can find more nuggets uh, next week uh, as I uh, head south just slightly for a couple of days. Well, as far as Bush's legacy is concerned, and you think about what a legacy is and how typically they're handled or treated or taught, um, the extent to which he's you know thought about this in advance, of course, is highly questionable. But uh, if you look at the way that children are taught history, uh, certainly books will be written, uh, critical accounts of the uh, eight years of the Bush administration and so forth. A number have appeared already, and even in a biographical film. Strangely enough, first ever of a sitting president, although not the first depiction of a sitting president. Uh, anyway, uh, the way history is taught to uh, pre-college students, let's put it that way, uh, they barely make it to World War II. And so, so much of the history of our own lifetimes mm-hmm. is untaught. And so it's no surprise that people uh, have come to the conclusion, uh, because it must be true, because people on TV keep saying it, that Reagan was the great communicator and that, uh, you know, Nixon had major achievements in foreign policy. And I'm the decider. And I'm the decider. But people just really aren't taught very well the account of the post-World War II era. And uh, I suppose for people like Bush and Cheney, this must be must bring uh, great comfort that uh, they won't appear as nightmarish figures in the disturbed dreams of children uh, who may have cause to wonder just what the future holds for them in uh, both educational health care and employment opportunities uh, 5, 10, 15 years down the line from now. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we've noted down here on Gray Matters over the years that part of our specialty or part, one of my interests has always been how wasteful Pentagon spending is. It's not productive um, uh, uses of American taxpayer dollars. And when 50% of the discretionary budget, and I emphasize that point because there are requirements of the government every year that are mandatory under law, Social Security, which, by the way, is not in deficit. I mean, the government actually does collect more in payroll taxes from employees and businesses to finance Social Security for the time being. But when the government is borrowing money out of that kitty, so to speak, to finance wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, destabilizing all the regions of the world that we've seen throughout the Cold War, to me it's just fascinating, for instance, if you look at the the real tr- trouble spots globally right now, they, they are the exact countries that America devoted so much of their <laughs> taxpayer dollars to destabilizing as part of the Cold War. Indeed. Um, Des Preston once famously said that the Germans made a mess of the first half of the 20th century. I would argue that the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, and the United States have made a mess of the second half of the 20th century. And while there's, for instance, a lot of emphasis on the Darfur situation uh, regarding the uh, neglect and outright um, complicity of the Sudanese government in those atrocities, nearby Congo, um, 
which the United States, of course, was involved heavily in the Cold War. It's an interesting fact, by the way, that we got 90% of our nuclear material hmm. from the Congo, allegedly, during the Cold War. We spent $9 trillion on nuclear weapons during the Cold War, yet we run around the world screaming about the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, we are in possession of these weapons of mass destruction, and uh, Bush is uh, kind of clueless. Um, he argues, of course, that um, you know he's disappointed uh, about his failure on immigration reform. This is getting back to the AIE um, appearance. He said, obviously, we weren't successful about getting comprehensive immigration reform. Nevertheless, I feel good about having tried. <laughs> well, immigration reform... <laughs> is a sort of minor problem uh, in, the, in the big scope of things. He also <laughs> talks about how he won't miss the, quote, petty name-calling. Um, he says, and then he talks this uh, uh, regarding war. He says, you know, war brings out a lot of heated rhetoric and a lot of emotion. I understand that. Oh, really? I would say that war is a little more complicated than uh, bringing out heated rhetoric and a lot of emotion. Um, you know, the for example, Harper's, ruined and wasted lives. <laughs> yeah, and the Harper's Index, of course, has uh, the chance that an Iraqi uh, has fled his or her home since the beginning of the war. One in six. I mean, contemplate that number if it were applied to the United States of America, uh, supposing some aliens from Jupiter's moon or Saturn's moon came to our great shores to rid America of its weapons of mass destruction. Just contemplate that for a second. One out of six Americans having to flee their houses. Uh, of course, many of them are having to flee their houses as a result of the mortgage meltdown, but uh, that's a little different uh, from being rained on with bombs. And of course, the United States spent $15 trillion on what is known as the Cold War, which we supposedly won. Oh, yes, there's Somalia, another beleaguered region where the United States made a stand. Impressive. Uh, I keep searching high and low for those areas where we won the Cold War. And I continue searching. Yeah. And, of course, Pakistan. Uh, no light at the end of the tunnel of doom and gloom there. Uh, interestingly, though, to go back to the idea that the uh, shoe throwing might be the single best legacy for Bush, um, it's interesting to note that Al-Zaidi, the guy who uh, threw the shoes, has been charged with... Uh, Insulting a foreign leader. <laughs> uh, one might uh, respond that uh, George Bush uh, could be uh, charged with insulting the dignity of the human race itself um, with his complacence, his indifference, and even his comment about the, the minor uh, subject of immigration reform. Well, I gave it a I gave it a shot. The college try. Gave it the old college try. Well, we all know about what the college try means for him. So um, this is really, uh, it's to America's lasting shame, this is one of the most disastrous non-fascist world leaders ever. 
Yeah. Not just in American history, but in world history. And, of course, one of the major war criminals of the 21st century. Um, I think, as young as it is, indeed. You know, he can leave office with that legacy around his back. And, you know, it's interesting because recently, and, and Carl Levin, our senator from Michigan, to his credit, has called for an investigation into uh, the direct responsibilities of uh, top Bush administration officials uh, regarding the abuse of uh, prisoners at Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo Bay, and other, quote, military detention centers. Uh, it's interesting in the Harper's Index. It says the minimum number of times that Frederick Douglass was beaten in what is now Donald Rumsfeld's vacation home. 25. Whoa. <laughs> Rummy, you big dummy. Um, just a fascinating piece of trivia. But, um, you know, Bush's disregard of uh, his legacy uh, while he's trying to burnish it on this legacies are something you build and shape as you progress through a a, a tenure yeah not at the last minute go oh let's get out the spit and kleenex here and polish polish up them boots burnish that legacy oh oh boy (laughs) um there's an awful powerful odor of mendacity in this room I keep wondering when Poppy is going to have that discussion with, with W down in the basement. He says uh, at, at one point, talking about the economic problems, um, doesn't really address, um, you know, the real problems. When asked about this from the David Stout uh, uh, New York Times article at the uh, Bush's appearance at the AIE, the American Enterprise Institute. When asked about President-elect Obama's assertions that Bush deregulation had led to a culture of recklessness and greed on Wall Street, Mr. Bush said he was looking forward to, quote, the true history of this financial crisis being written. Um, Well, it'll all be news to him, of course. Scribes are working (laughs) as we speak on stone tablets in Babylon on this true history. Bush continues, he says, some thoughts on this. The markets sometimes create excess. We're living through the consequences of the excess. I quipped in Texas that Wall Street got drunk and we got the hangover. (laughs) And it's like, no, America got drunk. (laughs) Elected Reagan, elect twice, elected Bush, (laughs) questionably twice, if at all. Nixon twice. And, uh, yeah, it's... You know, the true history of the financial crisis. Um, this man is, is hopeless. He needs to be taken out to the woodshed, and Poppy needs to have a discussion with him about that awful, powerful odor of mendacity. <laughs> That's, by the way, from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah, I they caught the end of showed that a couple nights ago on TCM. I caught the end of that, and that is a uh, very underrated. That's an intense film. Impressive movie, uh, based on a uh, play by Tennessee Williams, one of our great uh, playwrights. people. And by the way, over the holidays, you know, check out some of these old 1930s movies uh, from the uh, on, on Turner Movie Classics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting to compare um, the messages from the movies from the 30s when America was going through the, the Depression some of the moral messages. I, I saw 
Um, you can't take it with you again for the first okay. time in quite a while. And what an impressive movie that was. You know, it actually won Best Movie for 1938, as Robert Osborne informed me. At the end of the movie, and I hadn't seen it in 10 years, it's got Jimmy Stewart in it and Lionel Barrymore and Gene Arthur. And mm -hmm. it ends with that really warm <laughs> event where they're in the house that was about to be depossessed. Uh, by the the Wall Street tycoon who's finally seen the light and realized that he in the process of being the tycoon he'd sort of alienated himself from his own son which is Jimmy Stewart a very young Jimmy Stewart not really a star yet mm -hmm. uh, by any Hollywood standards but what an impressive movie that really warm scene at the end where they're playing Polly Wally Doodle yeah. <laughs> on the harmonica and then everybody starts dancing. Meet John Doe, yeah. the Gary Cooper film, is another one that has a, a very potent and powerful message that is just as true today yeah. uh, as it was uh, when that film was made in the late 30s. And I mentioned films just real quickly. Um, I don't know how much time we have, but um, by the way... Um, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Um, over the uh, well, last night, in fact, I, I have this recommendation, by the way, to deal with the, the coldest day of the year. Go out there. Get some, some of that really cold air on your face. And, boy, the rest of the winter doesn't seem that true. bad. It works for me in the summer, too. I often go for a run on a very hot day in the summer for the same concept. But in Frank Rich's... Uh, Sunday column, Who Wants to Kick a Millionaire? <laughs> Which um, it, it sort of mingles the Madoff scandal, Madoff scandal, however his name is pronounced, because I've heard Madoff it. Madoff seems quite apt. Quite apt, but uh, he compares the... Uh, the, the uh, I'll just read a couple of paragraphs, because I think it's an interesting column. He says, During the Great Depression, American moviegoers, moviegoers seeking escape could ogle platoons of glamorous chorus girls and, quote, gold diggers of 1933. Our feel-good movie of the year is Slumdog Millionaire, a, Dick's, uh, a Dickensanian uh, tale in which we root for an impoverished orphan from Mumbai's slums to hit, to hit the jackpot, to, uh, to hit the jackpot on the Indian edition of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And I saw this movie last night. It's uh, interesting, um, done by a British fellow, and it, it you know, it's just a, a kind of a feel-good movie. But um, he no he compares this uh, this movie a little bit. The one of the characters on it to Madoff or Madoff, who he calls the Smiling Shark. And we saw a picture mm. of Bernie Madoff making his way down one of the streets in New York with this kind of strange grin on his face. And we're beginning to find out that he's ripped off charities all over the world. Amazing stuff. But uh, check out this uh, Slumdog Millionaire. It's got a kind of an interesting perspective on things regarding money and evil. And it's playing at the Michigan Theater. Yeah, and also at the Michigan Theater, they... Uh I think have done a nice thing and scheduled uh, some one-off showings of some uh, important films from the air, some of the better films. Uh, Wall-E, for example, is being shown. Uh, I don't have the exact date on that. But the uh, very impressive documentary, um, Man on Wire, is going to be shown again at the Michigan Theater on the 30th. 
of December. Uh, go see this film. It's set up like a documentary, of course. It's about a historical event in which a guy, a tightrope walker, 